Um, so after the weekend away, um, a lot of, uh, yeah, I shared my testimony with a lot of people here, and it was basically about how we, um, what I believe was we met with God at a time when we really, really didn't expect to. And um, from that, we've kind of, I've kind of realized, and I've, it's been a while for me, but I've realized like how, um, I want to say deep, but I'll use the word profound, how profound it is to pray. I didn't really used to get why we pray. And I didn't really used to think it was that like powerful, at least my prayers. But I'm kind of realizing more and more now how like powerful our ability to pray is. So, um, yeah, whoop, yeah. So um, this week, I put it on our youth group chat and I was like, oh guys, we should do like a 12 hour in the night praying. And then everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and then we, I got to church and people were like, um, I don't know, I think 12 hours might be, be a bit long. So we'll just start, you know, we're um, learning with a learning plate, prayers. Um, so we were like, oh, we'll do evening. Oh, we'll do evening. Um, and so this Monday, last sun- well, last Sunday, we decided, okay, on Monday, we'll do a prayer evening from 7 to 11. And um, yeah, it was really good. And Ellen's going to come and tell you about it. And it was just, yeah, I was really encouraged by the weekend for us to pray. And I just want to reinstate to you. Maybe it's like, wow, from a young person. I don't know. But praying is so powerful. Like, we have so much power just through praying. And like, God hears us. And it's like, he's got so many problems. But he's big enough to listen to our little ones. So, yeah. Ellen will tell you about it. Um, yeah, so on Monday night, we gathered together as a youth group, um, and we decided we were going to pray from 7 to 11 at night, um, and it was really good. Um, I was really looking forward to it myself, and we started, kind of started by like going around, and everybody just said something that they wanted to pray for, and I was thinking it was just going to be like a quick five-minute one for everybody, but like it started going like really far, and you know, it, we were spending like hours just praying, or not, you know, everybody, we went... It, took a few hours to go around everybody because, you know, we were praying so intently. Everybody was praying, words were being um, said, um, you know, pictures were being given, Bible verses were being found and read, and it was just really amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just amazing how in that in that gathering of, you know, small people just in Eleanor's front room, how, you know, everybody was just, you know, coming, there was, you know, you could feel it in the room, and it was, you know, it was really amazing. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, thank you to the youth group for coming. Um, thank you to Eleanor for doing it. It was really amazing. And um, also, I'd like to... I haven't really okayed this with Eleanor, but I'm hoping that we're going to do it a lot more because it is just amazing. So if anybody does um, have any pe- prayer requests, you know, we'd love to gather and pray with the youth for them and, you know, let us know, let me or Eleanor or other people of the youth, let us know if you want something to pray for. Yeah, we're really nice. And, yeah, we'd love to pray for you guys. Thank you. Good. I also wanted to start off by talking a little bit um, about the youth stuff um, that's been happening. And just, isn't it cool? Um, I know um, probably most of us aren't discouraged that our youth are getting excited about prayer. Is that fair to say? Um, And um, it was really, really funny on the weekend away that um, basically the point where this stuff has kind of kicked off and they've just gotten really excited and hearing God's voice as they pray for each other and all this kind of stuff um, was actually like the day that Stevie was too poorly to do the youth work. 
Um, not, not saying anything. Um, no, but um, and and then he's gone away to China and they're meeting for like all these prayer meetings. And here's why I think that's cool. Firstly, I think massive kudos um, in his absence to Stevie. I wouldn't say it if it was here. If he was here. Um, but isn't that great? Um, and actually, it's a massive credit to his leadership, um, how the youth are um, just really getting excited about Jesus. Really, really cool. Um, and it's not because Stevie's away. <laughs> but it's cool that it's happened when Stevie's not around because it shows, doesn't it, um, where it's coming from. And who, like, do you know, does that make sense? Um, so I think it's really cool that God kind of took the human bit out and just was like, okay, now I can release. Um, uh, so that's really, really exciting. The thing where what I'm not expecting is for the youth now to never, ever have any more issues. Um, is anyone else expecting that? How many of you know the youth? No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are parents to the youth and you love them dearly. Um, and this is totally, totally amazing what's happened. And I don't want them to lose any ground or to, to kind of step back from it. Does that make sense? But um, how many of you know the life of discipleship is a little bit more complex than just, okay, now the youth have made it, we can ignore them, they'll worry about themselves. Now we've got to try and get the rest of us to have a four-hour prayer meeting, and then we'll all be there. Who's <laughs> um, up for having a four-hour prayer meeting tomorrow? If you are, meet together, that would be great. But the life of discipleship, and this is really where I want us to go this morning, for the next months, we're going to be thinking about discipleship. Um, I know it's a word that you're already starting to feel is overused um, here at Forest Hill. It's not. We're just getting started. So if you're getting bored already, that's fine. Find a new church where they don't talk about discipleship or something. We're going to keep talking about discipleship for ages and ages and ages. Um, and over the next few months, we're going to talk about how Jesus wants to disciple us in every possible area of our lives and think about how it affects our finances, how it affects our families, how it affects our work. And not just meaning like when I go to work, I don't sin, but how does it affect your work? Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about that loads, um, and obviously we've had this amazing weekend away, and we heard lots from Pete. Um, who here appreciated what Pete had to say at the weekend away? It was great, wasn't it? It was something for everyone, and I thought he did so well, kind of placing, and just there was so much there. It was really great. I only heard two of the talks, and that was already more than enough for me to go on with, in terms of like, oh gosh, I need to do that in my life, I need to build that into my life. Where I want to talk on today is how the discipleship journey is kind of, have any of you heard the phrase, of course you have. This is stupid. You know the phrase, two steps forward, one step back. Discipleship is a bit like that, but it's two steps forward, one and three quarter steps back. Okay, I'm just going to ask another question, but I'll stop. Um, I'll trust that all of you feel that to some degree, that your discipleship journey with Jesus isn't just two steps forward, two steps forward, two steps forward, no going back. It's, oh, look how great I'm doing in this area. And then the next week it's like, oh, I forgot to read my Bible for six days this week. When can I catch up on the Bible reading plan? Like a three-hour time slot to do it. Or like, hey, you make real headway in one area of your life, and then the other area of life, it's like you have no willpower left. And, and you just kind of go backwards. And over time, that can be quite discouraging. And so you look at other people doing it, and you think, hey, they seem to just be on this role of discipleship, or those people are really excited about God, or they have the energy to pray for four hours in the evening. Why don't I have that? And it's frustrating, isn't it? This two steps forward, one and three quarter steps backward. But here's where I want us to go um, this morning. Basically, in short, this is what I'm going to say. The one and three quarter steps back is the opportunity for discipleship. It's not, it's not opposite to the disciple journey. It's part of it. 
And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we, know how to, we need to know how to deal with our steps backward and our failure and our mess. Incidentally, I always think that people should preach on things that they are actually that they understand something about. So when I was thinking about the area of discipleship and what to talk about, I thought an area that I can talk with great, great confidence about and real authority is failure. Um, so that's basically uh, where we're going. Um, if you have a Bible, which you all should, obviously one of you is missing one since last week and you haven't noticed. Just saying. Um, go to Luke chapter nine. And we're going to look a little bit at a few stories that Luke tells in quick succession um, in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to think a little bit about what they show us about the life of discipleship. Uh, So Luke chapter 9. To give you a little update, um, Jesus has just sent his 12 disciples out on a big mission. Um, So he's kind of given them authority to preach and to heal people and cast out demons. And he sent them out. And in general, they've had a pretty good time. They've gone out. I think, did Jesus send the 12 in pairs? I can't remember, but basically they had a really lovely time seeing um, the power of God move in their lives and the kingdom of God break in, um, and it's really cool. And then they have the uh, feeding of the 5,000, which is obviously quite a great uh, moment. Everyone gets a lot of lunch, which is really good. Um, And then we have this really cool bit where Peter recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. It's like a really, so that's kind of verse 18, 19. Um, That's also really great. So we've had some really positive moments, right? Some real steps forward, some real victories in our life with Jesus as his disciples. We're kind of stepping into their lives today. Um, Some real, real high points. Then Jesus um, says, okay, let me tell you what it means that I'm the Messiah. It doesn't just mean it's all roses and nice. It means that I'm going to give my life up for the sake of the world. It means that I'm going to be killed, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. And if you're my disciple, that means great news. You get to join me in all that uh, progress. Yes, who's with me? Um, And they don't really get it, so they're like, I don't understand. Sure. Um, And uh, that's good. Then... Uh, so there you go, we just did a lot of a chapter together. Those aren't the bits that we were looking at, by the way. I'm just giving you a, a bit of context, because um, I know that you don't know your Bibles as well as me. Um, now, about, uh, so then there's the transfiguration. This is where I want to start. Um, so the transfiguration is um, Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, um, and they go up, um, with, up a hill with him. And do you remember what happens up the hill is... Um, they're praying together, um, and then it says, um, oh, I went too far ahead. While he was praying, the, this Jesus, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, so this is Peter, James, and John, see two additional men with Jesus, Moses and Elijah, um, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, or his exodus, um, which, if you know much, you'll know, um, was about to accomplish, uh, speaking about the exodus that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. So, okay, just to clarify, what's happening is the most amazing kind of revelation of Jesus' identity um, ever, bar the cross. The cross is the main one, um, and it's more glorious than this even. Um, But um, it's just in a completely different way. But this is like the most amazing revelation of who Jesus is ever. And the whole Old Testament shows up to kind of point to Jesus. And it's like, whoa, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And what are the disciples doing? Just they're doing that thing where you're, you know, when you're in a prayer meeting and you're like, 
Oh, just give them, just give them 10 seconds rest. And then you kind of like wake with the jolt. And they're in that moment, that zone. It's awful, isn't it? When you're like, I should be focusing on what's going on. Or equally, if someone stays, um, uh, comes to your house to have a conversation and then they're there for a bit too long and you start dozing off. This is like my whole life. I live in fear of this happening. And I have to try and make it look like I'm not just falling asleep and I am actually paying attention. So kind of really, really like... Um, anyway, that's just how I live my life. Welcome to my world. Um, and so they're, <laughs> they're dozing off while Jesus is being displayed in his glory. Um, just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Peter loves to overcompensate. When things are going wrong, um, just say the first thing that comes into your head. And he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then it says, quite tellingly, he did not know what he was saying. Um, and it's just one of these moments where Peter um, shows that maybe he's not quite as far along on the discipleship page as he felt like. This is like he's seen loads of cool stuff. He's put in an amazing situation. And then he just feels the need to just say something. Um, have you, anyone else ever said the wrong thing? I, again, that's how, that's how I live the other part of my life. Either I'm falling asleep or I'm saying the wrong thing. And that's just kind of um, my twin... Uh, Issues. Those are my only two issues, incidentally, as we're talking about discipleship. Um, Sleep and saying the wrong thing. But anyway, Peter's like, basically, let's preserve this moment. Let's hang on in this moment. This is great. We're up here. Screw the rest of the world. We just want to stay here where their presence is good, where there's worship and where it's cool um, and stuff. And Jesus basically has to be like Peter. Yeah. Well, actually, God intervenes. God the Father speaks through the cloud just to shut Peter up. Do you notice that? Um, so <laughs> while he was saying this, a, ca- a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud, a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Peter, stop talking and listen, is basically um, what he's saying. So anyway, they come down from the mountain. Um, so that's kind of um, one discipleship faux pas. Um, next bit. On the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain, a great cloud, uh, crowd, they'd just been in the cloud, this is a crowd, met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So basically what's going on here is Jesus has gone up the mountain with three disciples, leaving how many down the mountain? Nine. You're good at this. This is great. Um, Leaving nine disciples down the mountain. And someone's come to those disciples because they've heard, "You, you guys are followers of Jesus and you have the authority of Jesus' name to cast out the demon that's afflicting my son. And that he's asked these disciples to cast out the demon. And they've obviously had a real go at it and they've failed miserably. Um, Anyone else ever had a moment like that where someone really needs you to minister into your life and you just feel completely unable to, just completely inadequate for the task of actually setting someone free or getting someone helped or healed? Healing is my one. I look at you and I'm like, oh, I'm just struggling with my own faith, let alone, you know, um, actually seeing anything happen. Um, And so these disciples, the issue here is they just don't have, uh, I don't know, they don't have the faith. um, But either way, it's like, oh, gosh, these disciples aren't all that. They can't do it. And Jesus says to them, you faithless and perverse generation. Jesus is always nice and soft with his words. How much longer must I be with you and bear with you? 
bring your son here. And so the question kind of, it's like, sometimes with the disciples, I'm like, when will Jesus just decide, actually, maybe these 12 were the wrong choice. The three I took up the mountain ruined the mountain. The nine I left down the hill were rubbish down the hill. At what stage do I just think, maybe it's time for you guys to go and, you know, work with my dad in the workshop and um, maybe they'll have a bit, actually, I wouldn't trust them with that either. Um, Definitely not. But Jesus doesn't, does he? Them being rubbish disciples doesn't make Jesus say, so I'm going to ditch you and get some new and better disciples. Does that make sense? Instead, he uses it as a teaching opportunity. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He healed the boy and everyone was astounded and the disciples get a lesson. Actually, you do have the authority to do this. Next, next story. Um, Jesus <laughs> tells um, them he's going to die again. And then in verse 46, <clears throat> so this is... <laughs> After they've all shown how incompetent they are, um, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest, which is the natural le- next step, isn't it? To we failed every task that Jesus has given us um, over the last few days, but I'm better at, I'm better at this than you, definitely. Um, so there's kind of this infight. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest, but Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, took a little child and put it by his side. Put it. <laughs> little child isn't it in my Bible. Put him. You've got him. Okay, that's good. Um, and said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among you is the greatest. Incidentally, this is not the only time this fight comes up. They do it over and over and over again. Basically, it's almost like a little um, bridge between every scene as the disciples are having a fight amongst them about which one is the greatest. And Jesus time and time again has to say, guys, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. So we had discipleship screw up number one, Peter on the mountain. Discipleship screw up number two, you can't cast out a demon even though I've given you authority to do it. Discipleship screw up number three, you're infighting and fighting with each other about who's the best and who's liked the most and who's best at doing ministry and who's best at um, all this kind of stuff, even though none of you are. Then, uh, what comes next? Verse 49. John answered. He felt like this would be a good time to pipe up. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. And you can imagine how how happy he was to give that news to Jesus, like that kid in class at school who's like, Miss, I saw so-and-so doing it. You know, and they just like, yes, I'm going to get massive brownie points with the teacher here because someone was doing something in Jesus' name. I didn't know who he was, so I told him to stop. Jesus is like, what? <laughs> you saw someone doing, casting out demons in your name, which incidentally is what you couldn't do yesterday. Doing it properly... <laughs> and it was working, and my power was being released, and you stopped him. <laughs> Discipleship screw up, number four. Anyway, uh, that's good. Um, then, verse 51. When the days drew near to him to, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. A tiny bit of context here. Samaria and Jerusalem hated each other. Samaria was the capital um, of the, uh, the ancient capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jerusalem was the ancient capital of the southern kingdom. And over hundreds of years, those people groups had actually moved apart drastically 
the southern kingdom kind of with the with the Jewish people. So they came to be what was known as the Jewish people. Jerusalem was their capital, and they knew if we're going to worship God, it happens in Jerusalem. If we're going to sacrifice, that happens in Jerusalem. And if the Messiah comes, that's going to happen in Jerusalem. The people of Samaria genuinely believed that they were also following God, that they were also living his way, and that Samaria was the proper place that you should worship God. So they used to do sacrifices and stuff like that at Samaria, which is why when Jesus meets the woman at the well, she says, Sir, you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship, and we um, Samaritans worship in Samaria. Which is it? And Jesus, his, he's from the Jews, and his, he knows that actually that God's um, going to do something in Jerusalem. That's going to be where it's going to happen, and that's where his heart is. So you can imagine, obviously Jesus doesn't love anyone any less, so he wants to go and tell the people in Samaria about all the cool stuff that's going to happen and his ministry and stuff like that. But when he goes there and they find out, oh no, he's one of these Jerusalem guys. He thinks it's Jerusalem. They reject him. They don't want to hear from him because... He's different to them. And I don't want to listen to anyone who disagrees with what I say, basically. Um, it's kind of a rule of human life. Um, so they send him away, um, and they don't, they don't receive him. When his disciples, James and John, saw it. Now, we've just saw him, seen John be a bit humiliated. So we can expect him to lay low um, and not say anything too confrontational for a little while and just wait for the moment to pass. Um, um, they said to Jesus, Lord! Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So their solution to people, people not wanting to listen to Jesus' teaching is, Lord, would you like to burn them all to a crisp in like an enormous furnace from the sky? That seems like the next logical move that we could make on this ministry um, tour. <laughs> he turned and rebuked them. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Um, he even said... Um, uh, there's a little bit probably in the bottom of your Bible that says, um, some ancient authorities re- read, um, you do not know what spirit you are of. Like, guys, what are you on? Basically is what he's saying. Um, don't you see that we're about the opposite of that? We're about the complete opposite of that. Um, I don't know if you have a massive uh, problem with this kind of thing. It's kind of like the big red button complex for the disciples. or um, It's kind of how I feel when I'm driving. I think that's um, my worst discipleship point. Um, I think I've shared that before. It's, quite, it's an issue quite close to my heart. Um, but when I'm driving, discipleship goes out the window, and I just get filled with, I want to call down Elijah's fire on every other driver on the road, particularly in London. Everyone's just an idiot in London. Or mainly, here's the, here's the moment. I know that you can relate to this. You know the moment when two lanes are going to become one lane, and everyone goes into war mode, because you know, I, I, I don't want to look like it, but everyone else here on this road is my enemy. And I want to be a goodie, and I don't want to, you know, nip down the fast lane and then just cut in at the last minute like a complete so-and-so. But at the same time, the last thing I want is to go in the slow lane and have 15 people go zoom, 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 and to have to swear at every one of them individually and call down fire on their cars. Um, so, so um, my way is, um, and the way that I've dealt with this that I think might really be a blessing to you, is you go in the slow lane, but you stick your butt out into the passing lane um, just enough that if someone goes past you, they have to kind of really work for it. And then you can be like, and it's just, it's all about the tut. This is not going to curse them. We're going to bless them in Jesus' name like this. 
like that. And then you just feel self-righteous later as you hold your place in the line when they're actually merging. That's the key bit, isn't it? It's to keep a distance with no more than a foot with the car in front of you and do it like this. So, sorry, I can't let you in. I'm just taking this. Um, anyway, that's my issues, um, my discipleship issues. But basically, what Luke's done here, that was a, just an aside, a little bit of light relief, because um, the rest of it's been really heavy, um, is what Luke's done here is he's just intentionally told six stories. One, two, three, four, five. Five stories back to back of where the disciples are pretty much idiots. Now, why would Luke do that? One solution is Luke wants us to know that those disciples are idiots. Now, Luke wasn't one of them. <laughs> so maybe it's easier in kind of <laughs> like those guys. <laughs> um, I don't think that's what Luke is doing. I think what he's saying is this. Guys, this is what following Jesus looks like. If, you've, if you are a disciple of Jesus, your life is going to look like mistake, 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 victory, mistake, mistake, mistake. And that's okay. That's what it looks like. That's what it's always looked like. But here's the cool thing. (laughs) Jesus doesn't mind. Well, I mean, he gets frustrated if you just keep getting the same thing wrong over and over and over, I think. But for Jesus, the one and three quarter steps back is actually the important bit because that's where the lesson can happen, isn't it? The lessons don't happen in the victory if you just pray for someone and they get healed straight away. And that's great. And that is a lesson in itself. It's really encouraging. It's lovely. And we want to see more of that, right? Yeah. Um, but, but, But when you screw up again and you have to come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's going on there? Why did I do that again? Why am I still such an angry driver, even though on the outside I look like such a loving, kind human being? Um, who's really handsome. Um, in other words, the mess-ups, I tend to think of mess-ups in my own life as obstacles to discipleship. I think I'm, not, I think I'm saying I don't think that's right. I think the mess-ups in my life are opportunities for discipleship. In your life, that's not true. They're obstacles. Um, but in my life, they're opportunities um, for discipleship to happen. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, and Jesus never disqualifies them. Okay, um, let's go to the next chapter. The next chapter. I want to look at a little bit more detailed at just one story, and then we'll pray. Um, so chapter 10, verse 38 onwards. As they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things. But just one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So in this story, Jesus is going to a couple of his friends' house, Mary and Martha, and who else? Who's their brother? Lazarus. That's right. They come up all over the place because Jesus was really good friends with them. They lived in a little village called Bethany, which was just outside Jerusalem. So basically, whenever Jesus, is visited, Jesus visited Jerusalem, he would stay at their house in Bethany, and then each day walk down to Jerusalem, and then stay at their house in Bethany, walk down to Jerusalem. That was kind of how his life down south worked. 
So these guys were really close with Jesus, had a really good day. Now, this story uh, gets Martha a really bad rap to the point that a lot of people were actually surprised when we called our daughter Martha. They were like, the workaholic who didn't want to hang out with Jesus. Um, it's like, well, no, that's a bit more nuanced than that, actually. She's a friend of Jesus. Like, Martha has a really good relationship with Jesus, um, and it's really cool. Anyway, that's just by the by. But what's cool about this story for me is thinking about this issue. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha is at work in the kitchen. She's just getting on with stuff. And Jesus says to her, oh, no, he, she says to Jesus, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm really annoyed. I feel really cross. You're just hanging out with Mary. Mary's just hanging out with you. She should be helping me. I think part of the reason is because she wanted to hang out with Jesus, right? But someone needs to cook the food. It's not just going to do itself um, unless you're with Jesus, which incidentally you are. Here's what I love. I love the way that Jesus responds to Martha. So Martha has this moment where things flare up. She gets cross. She says, this isn't fair. And Jesus doesn't say, Martha, you're just an idiot. And he doesn't say, Martha, be nice to your sister. What he says is, Martha, Martha. In other words, he uses that name twice, just really getting her attention, really being gentle with her. And then he says, he he actually speaks to not just the issue, but what's going on behind it. Do you see this? You're anxious about so much. Isn't that cool? That that's how Jesus responds to Martha when she has a moment, when she has a kind of one and three quarter steps back moment. Isn't, Martha, you're just not good enough. You just need to learn. Come on. We've talked about this workaholic thing so many times. When will you learn? No, it's, let's talk about what's going on under the surface. Sam, when you're in road rage mode, trying to go two to one lanes, I think what Jesus wants to do isn't just to tell me off for being cross. It's to think, is to actually poke underneath the surface. What's actually going on underneath all that? Maybe it's, I'm afraid of not getting in before the Porsche. I don't know, but do you see what I mean? He doesn't just face the issue. He goes underneath the issue. You're anxious about so much, but there's just need of one thing. Just hang out with me. Isn't that really cool? I think that's what um, he wants to do. Um, <coughs> Sorry, I'm a little bit coldy. I'm trying to um, play it up a bit so you have more sympathy. Um, yeah, we had a house full of sickness yesterday. Melissa and Martha both caught something and we're just chundering everywhere. It was beautiful. Um, so you're welcome. It's got the washing machine going at home, so I thought I'd come out here, stay as long as possible. Um, anyway, you didn't need to know that. Where am I? Yeah, discipleship. Thanks, Jenny. I said, where am I? Jenny said, discipleship. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes. Now, that's really cool because um, when I think about my life and all the discipleship things that I'm aware of that I'm not good enough at yet, that means that those things aren't things that I just need to ignore. Because that's one temptation, isn't it? Is to just kind of push them aside and focus on the things that I do well and try and make sure everyone else sees that those things I do well, I do really well. So kind of overcompensate in a certain area. That's kind of Peter's way of dealing with this kind of stuff, I think. The other issue, that I, the other thing I can do is just to wallow in my issues. 
So when I do discipleship stuff that's stupid, um, to just look at it and think, oh gosh, I'm never going to pray properly. I'm so rubbish at that. I'm just so bad at being kind to people. I'm so glad bad at actually loving people. I'm so bad at actually stopping when someone wants my attention or um, you know, not looking at my phone instead of talking to my wife or something like that. Um, and yeah, I can beat myself up about those things. And you're saying that the last one you should beat yourself up about. Um, <laughs> but I think what this is saying is Jesus <laughs> is actually the opportunity is to stare it in the face and say, okay, what's going on there? And Jesus, what do you want to say about it? Um, I was uh, doing um, just a tiny bit of research um, on this and kind of thinking about how we change behavior and stuff like that. Um, And um, one of the things I looked up said this, um, while it's understandable to think um, that strongly felt negative emotions like regret, shame, fear, and guilt, anyone recognize any of those four? Regret, shame, fear, and guilt. That's how, that's just how I live a lot of the time. Um, while, it's, while it's understandable to think that those things should be able to catalyze lasting behavior change, the opposite is true. Negative emotions may trigger us to think about everything we're not doing or feel like we're doing wrong, but it's horrible fuel for making change stick. Now, why did I quote that? Because in discipleship, just wanting to do better because you feel like you're a bad Christian isn't going to make it. It's not going to do it. The solution is, I think, I think the only solution is bring it to Jesus' presence and just say, Lord, what do you have to say about this? Next time you just felt like you've had a really rubbish day, don't try and brush it under Jesus' carpet and just be like, Lord, forgive me, and now let's talk. But say, what was, what actually, what was going on there? And Jesus, um, what do you want to say um, to me? I think there's two things that I think we should do. Um, really long term. Um, one is do that, and just talk to Jesus about all your screw-ups. Um, is everyone comfortable doing that? I am. I, I've got nothing else to talk about. Um, uh, that's not quite true. I know there's some areas I'm doing fine in. Um, the other thing I think is that it's so important, and we're going to talk about this a lot over the coming months, it's just really important as we do this thing to genuinely do it together to genuinely do discipleship together and to not try and do it alone. I think aloneness is like a massive enemy of discipleship. And just because you come to church, um, you know, once every three weeks or however often it's normal now, um, <laughs> I'm mainly looking at the Air Awards. Yeah. Um, kidding, totally kidding. Is It's genuinely really important that someone knows what's going on in my heart, basically. Now, there are lots of ways that that can happen. House group is a great way that that can happen. Um, accountability little triplets or prayer triplets or whatever you do there, it's really good. Friends are a good thing um, if you want to do discipleship well. But basically, if you try and do this whole discipleship journey alone, you won't. You just won't. It's not going to happen. And so we need to do it together. So um, that's not me trying to slot you into his Forest Hills program for discipleship, um, which I would love it if we have, but we definitely don't have. Um, Sorry about that. Um, But what we do do is house groups. If you're not in a house group and there's a really good reason, totally fine, so long as you're talking to someone and praying with someone somewhere else, right? But if you're not in a house group and there's not a really good reason, get a house group. It's so good. I love ours. I get to talk about all my issues, um, which actually I hate doing even at house group, but it's really good to have to, and then we pray for each other, and it's really lovely. Um, so just do that. Basically, do it with Jesus and do it together. Is that good? 